felt like, okay, I have to figure out, I have to figure this out on my own. Otherwise it means I'm like incapable of doing this, but no, like people always have, have to reach out to others for help. And that might take like a problem that would otherwise take you like a month to solve only a few days to solve. Um, and I think you just have to like let go of your pride uh, and just realize that, you know, you're human and the people who are experts at this had the same questions when they started and it's totally fine to ask them. That's a good advice. <laughs> yeah, but again, sometimes yeah. I don't follow this on advice. I feel like I tend to want to solve things on my own. But yeah, you're not an island and it's okay <laughs> to not know things. <laughs> Welcome to the Extend podcast. I am Zedek in Stockholm working as a front-end developer. Me and my partner Daphna will address in our podcast about women in the tech industry. We will have interviews and discussion, particularly women in tech. In today's first episode, we will be interviewing the co-founder and lead developer of Imagilabs, Paula Dosa. I'll let Daphna to introduce herself. So I'm very, very happy to record this episode today and start with this uh, initiative. Um, Working as tech director at Ape Group, I started working in the tech industry in 2006. And I've been working in uh, backend and and frontend and engineering management since. Um, And I'm living in Stockholm for the past two years. So pretty new. My Swedish is not uh, good enough. I'm afraid, yeah, but uh, I love the city and I'm really happy to start uh, interviewing people who work here. So um, I think we can start with introducing Paula, who joins us today. And maybe you can tell a little bit about your background. Great. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm really honored to be on the first episode of it. Uh, So I'm Paola and I'm one of the co-founders and also the lead developer at Imagilabs which is a Stockholm-based startup, and my Swedish is non-existent <laughs> at this point. But I've, I've lived in Stockholm for a year now, so I moved here last August uh, to join Imagilabs full-time. And as lead developer, I basically do full-stack development um, on both iOS and Android and also on the back-end side. So that's a little bit about what I do uh, at Imagilabs. Awesome. And can you tell a little bit about what is uh, the product that you build? Yeah. Uh, so at Imagilabs, our mission is to empower and equip teenage girls to shape the future with tech. And we're doing that by teaching them how to code uh, through a smart accessory called the ImagiCharm, which can be customized by coding straight from your phone through the Imagilabs app. And so we have started selling the ImagiCharm since May, uh, and the Imagilabs app is also available for iOS and Android. Do you have any age range for the product? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess our target age uh, group would be 10 to 16. Um, So basically anyone who is able to read uh, and also type so that they can use the Imagilabs app. And we found that it's especially popular among the younger age groups, I'd I'd say like 10 to 13. Uh, But so far, I guess we're still in launch phase. Um, So we have about 1,500 users, which mostly consist of girls in this age group, but also their very excited parents um, who enjoy using the app. App. Um, so yeah, but that's about our target age group and our current uh, group of users. Yeah, but this product was developed with a, after a lot of research with um, girls between the ages of 10 to 16. So we've had the girls involved since the very early stages, since I guess 2017, when this product first started being worked on. I was wondering if this uh, product, are you working with schools or individuals or you make your own workshops? How do you reach for the girls? 
Mm -hmm. So I guess we do a bit of both. So we have, I guess, both a uh, direct-to-consumer approach and uh, approach with partners, like educational partners. Um, so we have users who just found the app and downloaded it and use it on their own in their free time. And that's kind of our goal. We want coding to be incorporated in their lives. Uh, but then we also partner with educational institutions uh, and especially coding schools, which specifically mm -hmm. lead workshops for kids and they've come and told us that yeah they have a lot of boys in their workshops but not a lot of girls uh, so they mm -hmm. see the product as a way of attracting more girls to the field how did you get to to join this uh, startup if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. they started a little bit you you didn't start together like all the co-founders yeah. right mm -hmm. so the uh i guess original co-founders who are the ceo and cto uh dora and beatrice so they both did their masters in stockholm um and the startup actually started started out of a research project that our CEO, Dora, did for one of her classes. And the goal was to make a product that levels the playing field for an underrepresented group. Uh, and she chose women in tech and started doing research around this. And actually, the first product was a phone case that you could customize. But then we, we pivoted to the Imagicharm. But I actually have known Dora and Beatrice for, I guess, like five years now or six years. So we went to the same university uh, for our undergraduate studies. So all three of us studied in Abu Dhabi, uh, at NYU Abu Dhabi, and they were they are slightly older than me, so I was two years below them, uh, but I met them through my uh, computer science classes. And even back then in university, uh, they actually had their first venture called WeSTEM, or Women Empowered in STEM. So it was a student group meant to empower women or students who were pursuing STEM fields. So that's how we met. And yeah, and then both of them moved to Stockholm and I was still in Abu Dhabi. Um, and then after I graduated from NYU Abu Dhabi, I moved to Hong Kong uh, to work as a software engineer at an investment bank. And that's when they reached out to me um, through Messenger and they asked me if I had some free time to help them with this thing they were working on. And I had heard about it because I followed, uh, at the time it was called Imagicase, the phone case. So I followed Imagicase on Instagram, so I kind of knew what they were up to. And I didn't have a lot of iOS development experience. Like I took one class in my third year of university where I made, uh, it's kind of, it was called Pet Finder and it was like Tinder for pets. So you could like swipe right and left on pets you wanted to adopt. Um, so that was like the only app I'd ever made. But I, I did want to continue learning about iOS development. So I said yes. Um, so I started, I guess, moonlighting for Imagilabs and working like 15 hours a week. And then that turned to 20 hours a week. And then that turned to me moving to Stockholm to do this full time. So that's, I guess, the history of me knowing the, the original co-founders. How do you find mobile development? Because you said it was not in the first start Actually, of your career. I think I'm a very uh, visual person. So I really do like working on mobile uh, development since you, I guess you get the feedback right away. Um, so that's, I really enjoyed that. And I think for me, like backend development was always something I was a bit scared of. Uh, but now that I've been doing it for the past year, uh, I've definitely become more confident in this area. Um, I actually just finished implementing this elastic search functionality for our app. And I'm really proud of doing that since I, like for me, I think if someone asked me to do this a year ago, I would just freeze up and be like, oh my God, but I've never done this before. And there's so much I don't know. But I think like being at a startup makes you realize that, yeah, there's a lot you don't know, but you just have to go and try it um, and yeah. it will work out in the end. I guess that's one of the advantages of uh, working uh, on for the startups. Like mm -hmm. uh, you have to be involved in different areas, right? Like the back yeah, end, front end, but in a big corporate or big organizations. Mm -hmm. You'll be focusing on one area, probably. 
I yeah, exactly. And and like it's not just development, but even outside of development. Yeah. Like I lead workshops uh, with teenage girls. Like I do a lot of things that are not necessarily coding related. Yeah. But but I really enjoy that everything I do is towards the same purpose. And there's this like larger goal that we're all working towards. Um, so yeah, I think it's really an exercise in sort of grit, I guess, uh, and just like sticking to what you're doing and mm -hmm. continuously working on this but it's more of a collective exercise because I'm surrounded by people who also have the same goal and mission and we're there to support each other through the not so easy uh, and happy times but yeah so that's been a big learning experience for me so and today you also do mobile development yeah so what are your thoughts on mobile development before I joined my current company I just use it for fun and then when when I see some problems I would always imagine oh that can be solved with mobile mm -hmm. but I started as a web developer so the transition was not easy but uh, I like it now it is more interesting because it can be more creative in one screen than in a bigger screen as for yeah. web development or web app so it's really nice I don't know it has a different feeling than the other uh, platforms I believe uh, I work in react uh, native I guess you work with Swift yeah I work with Swift. we have talked about that so I actually don't have experience working with the like a cross-platform framework uh, but I've really enjoyed the native experience so yeah my focus is mostly on our iOS app but I've done a little bit of Android development as well but I do really enjoy I guess the Apple ecosystem like not just as a consumer but also as a developer so, so far, yeah, the experience has been uh, pretty good. And we actually did get a lot of support from Apple. So we were part of the uh, Apple Entrepreneur Camp, uh, which is a program meant for female founders and female funded com founded companies. Um, so before I joined the Magic Labs full time, I actually went to um, Cupertino to the Apple campus for two weeks together with Dora and Beatrice. And we spent two weeks just getting support from um, engineers and designers at Apple. Uh, and that was a really, I think that's the moment where I decided to join the Magilabs full time. Uh, so it definitely gave me a little push there. Uh, but yeah, I think Apple also just provides a lot of support for their developers. It's a really good, I think, good platform to develop for. Oh, I didn't know about that. That's a good uh, support system. It was like having Stack Overflow in the room yeah. <laughs> with all the engineers there. Yeah, yeah but it's a, it's a great program. And yeah, if you know any female-founded uh, companies, definitely uh, I recommend that they, they apply. It's a really good program. What about so, it uh, made you made you decide that you want to join mm -hmm. them? Like, was it a specific moment or or something um, else? So I guess I'd been... So the camp was in uh, April of last year. And I'd been working with Imagilab since like October of the year before that. Uh, but until then, all the work had been remote. So I was in Hong Kong and they were in Stockholm and we just talked on Google Meets, I guess, uh, or Hangouts at the time. Um, but this was the first time we were actually all three of us in the same room uh, working on this together. And I just, I just really loved the experience of like working on something where everyone cares so much about the like there's like a reason to the work you're doing and it's like very personal to you um and you're actually trying to solve a problem and at the time i was so my full-time job which i took a vacation from to go on this two-week trip uh was working at an investment bank and i didn't feel at all personally involved in the work i was doing like i guess uh, the only motivation for the work i was doing was mostly my paycheck um and I think that's that's fine at like certain points in your life, but at that point in my life, I wanted the work I was doing to have sort of a bigger place in my life and a bigger meaning. 
And also it was just very empowering to be working with like two women uh, because up until then, most of the jobs I worked in, I was just surrounded by a room of male developers. Um, and it was just very empowering to see uh, a group of people who look like me uh, doing these amazing things. You're a lead developer right now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What kind of advice would you give to or juniors or mid-level uh, developers so that they can like grow to be a lead or something like that? So I guess my, my role is lead developer, but up until like May of this year, I was the only per developer I was leading was myself um, because <laughs> I was basically the only one uh, actually like writing code for the app uh, mm -hmm. on the team. So I still consider myself very junior in terms of experience. Uh, but then over the summer, uh, we had like a, several interns join the team, uh, and we also had a full-time developer join the team. And I acknowledge that this developer, he's more senior than me, um, and I think that's great because you need more senior people on your team to be able to go forward and learn. So yeah, I'd say I still consider myself junior in terms of experience, but my role is lead developer, so I do feel responsible for like the entire stack of our app. Uh, but again, I. I don't feel like I had like this like natural progression of like junior developer to like mid developer to lead <laughs> developer. I just sort of got like I just got this role assigned to me and I had to grow into the role and I'm still growing into the role. So I don't really have advice in terms of like the traditional sort of like uh, ladder. Um, yeah, just make friends with like cool people in university and one day they'll come up to you and they'll be like, hey, <laughs> do you want to lead development for, for us? Um, but yeah, so. I guess I, I don't really have a lot of good advice, except like don't be afraid to accept the roles that might seem like are totally like not something you could do, because I think it's like, really important that you can grow into this, like that you grow into this role yourself. And if people trust you enough to give you this responsibility, I think you should just take that um, and yeah, just grow into it. And it's, it's really scary, but uh, I've learned so much more than I would have if I like stuck in a normal corporate job as I had until then. If you're a lead and then who do you consult? Just go stare in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> wonder, wonder why you made the bad decisions you did <laughs> several months ago. So we have a CTO in the company, Beatrice, uh, who's also one of the founders, um, but her expertise is mostly on the hardware side, but she still also is our product manager for the app. So she's also very involved on the app side. Um, so I guess she's like familiar with the stack and I go to her before making any major like technical decisions. Um, so I do have someone that I can go and ask questions, uh, I guess not get help on, on like the coding side, but at least on like the implementation, like tech stack side. Uh, and then we actually also have one investor who's been a CTO of several companies and he helped us set up our current backend stack. So he's a very hands-on uh, investor. So I think, yeah, it's just about finding people who can mentor you and they don't necessarily have to be like employees of your company. Um, but yeah, so investors and other people who might not like have experience with app development, but you can just go to and like have a conversation with, because I think just sometimes just like telling your thoughts to someone uh, kind of really helps you clear your, uh, clear your mind, I guess. Um, yeah, so I guess, Sometimes it's, yeah, it's tricky when you have to make decisions on your own, but I think consulting with someone helps. When we worked on, uh, when we had our uh, preparation uh, meeting to this episode, mm -hmm. I told you the story about like how I moved here uh, mm -hmm. because I moved here to originally to join a startup as a co-founder and CTO. And, and I told you that 
in the half year before moving here, I was very, very concerned and worried that I'm gonna find myself like at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night with production down and like not knowing what to do. <laughs> and did, did that happen though? It didn't happen, no. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's, uh, I don't know if you can relate to this feeling, because you also kind of, um, you gave permission to yourself, I think, to to do this, like to take a leadership uh, technical position without having like 20 years of experience. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe if you can share a little bit about how you felt when you decided to do that and what enabled you to do that and so on. Um, so I guess I, when I started working with Imagi Labs, even though I was only working 15 hours a week, like I was still basically the only person on the app. So I guess I was still the lead developer at that point. Um, but again, it didn't feel like a lead developer position because I was working on an app that was still in beta. So it was just like, you know, it was just kind of like an app I was working on on the side. But since then we have gone into production and we have like a solid number of users and we have people who, you know, want the app to work as expected and not crash. So I do feel a lot of responsibility towards our users. And I think like my main drive right now and goal is to ensure that our users are happy with the app, that they're engaged, that they keep coming back, um, and that they have as few problems as possible. So I just try to not think a lot about the worst case scenarios. I mean, of course, like when I'm taking making decisions, I do think about like, is this going to scale properly? Like might this cause issues down the line and so on. But then day to day, I just try to focus on making sure their current experience is as good as possible and trying not to worry about production going down. Um, and again, as something our CEO always says, it's like, we're not running an emergency room. Uh, like, I think it's important to not be like constantly anxious and stressed out because mm. uh, that will interfere with like progress in the app and in your current features. If you're just always like worrying about something going wrong. So yeah, and I think yeah, like stress and anxiety management is a big topic for, I guess, all three of us founders. And there are days when, you know, I think it's like a rite of passage to like, like just like burst into tears during a meeting. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I think um, it's just about like not always being focused on, yeah, the worst case scenario. Um, and instead, like, you know, also celebrating the small successes um, and the small improvements uh, as they go on. So, yeah, I think it's just about like having the right mindset. But I like my like anxiety slash stress management is still something that I'm I'm actively working on. Um, and but I think that's also very linked to uh, just like getting enough sleep and exercise and, you know, uh, kind of like keeping yourself healthy. So, yeah, I think work life balance is like one topic I get asked about sometimes. And it's tough. Because I feel like back when I was like at an investment bank or during my internships, I felt like work-life balance was important. Um, but now when someone asks me this question, I'm, I feel like Imagine Labs is so much a part of my life that I don't even consider it work. So it's more about just like making sure I, it's more about like stress and anxiety management than work-life balance at this point. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts, I guess, uh, Daphna and um, today on work-life balance? And have your like, has your opinion on it like changed as the years went by? Um, and what is your current stance? When I uh, came here uh, in 2018, I, I joined the company and then it was work life balance was like unimaginable because I don't usually finish uh, the tasks I'm given. So I took my time 
during night time, weekends. So within few months, I hated the work. So like you said, it's really important if you want to continue in this industry, you have to have your own time, even to have a very good product and or to be a successful programmer, you have to have your own time, not always like 24 seven, you have to, you don't have to code. Uh, maybe I, I do sometimes work to improve my skills, but it has progressed. Yeah, of course. What about you, Daphna? Especially since you've experienced both like working yeah. in a startup <laughs> uh, and working in like, I guess, a bigger company. Um, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on or how have your thoughts changed since? So I think it's uh, like today said, it's very much uh, dependent on the you know time in your life and, and things like that. Um, especially now with the corona, I feel like it's hard. Like you, I mean, here in Sweden, I think maybe now in the past month when things got so much better and there's no, uh, you know, massive quarantine or at least in our industry, we feel that it's uh, pretty much stable right now. Um, but there are places where it's much worse. Um, and it's really something that I think about often and that, you know, occupies me. And I feel like a lot of people feel lesser energy right now. So um, I've seen a lot of uh, women engineers talk about we don't we don't have now energies to to write blog posts or to create tech talks, because it's just a hard time right now. And I think that people don't need to feel ashamed about it. Because sometimes we just it's not the right time. And it's not something that we have to do all the time, like 100% of the time um but that's about uh, side projects and like after work activity for work i feel like i always uh, appreciated my uh, like my work-life balance and my time at home and to the extent that i sometimes get like uh, muscle pains when i work too much and it just like my body stops me from working too much so um for me it was also very important to work something like uh, nine hours in total per day and I try to be very productive in that time so I'm gonna feel you know um, I'm gonna feel bad if I'm not productive if I if I'm doing something that is maybe hard or maybe causes anxiety to me because I feel like I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it or something like that or the people that I work with are uh, you know not the best people to communicate with I'll find myself going a lot to social media and I'm gonna feel really bad about it later but I usually try to just improving managing my time and I think that I managed to become pretty good at it by now um, and I try to manage my focus and I do find myself like working about on work during weekends from time to time but it's very seldomly and it's only if I feel it's usually like a lot of fun like something that I really care about or really interests me and and for like you know short time i want our platform to be empowering uh, more women to come to this industry what do you both say for a woman to be a uh, in this industry or who wants to join uh, do you recommend going to a four or three years in sweden computer science or learning by themselves or going to a uh, three months yeah. mm -hmm. uh, uh, how do they have to work hard towards mm -hmm. okay i guess i can start so i guess i had a very traditional path so i at least for someone from romania so i started coding in high school um 
and I was doing this like intensive computer science program. So we had like eight hours of computer science classes a week. Like it was pretty intense. Um, became very good at data structures and algorithms, which is basically what we were taught then. And then I went to university uh, in Abu Dhabi and then I was a computer science major. So again, I just did the whole thing uh, from start to finish. And then I interned at like software engineering companies and then I worked at the, like as a software engineer. So I think I have a very traditional path Mm. Uh, but that's not the advice I'd necessarily give someone. I don't think there's like a right way to learn how to code and a right way to work in the industry. Um, like for example, my boyfriend, um, so we're currently in a long distance relationship, but we met in Hong Kong. Um, and at the time he was working in, uh, I guess like the insurance industry, uh, and he didn't like the work he was doing. And then after I left Hong Kong to move to Stockholm, he like had this realization that if you don't like what you're doing, you can quit your job and find something else. So he actually did a coding bootcamp in the US and he's currently working as a software engineer um, at a startup in Oregon. So he had the more like non-traditional path, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, and that worked out really well for him and he really loves what he's currently doing. So yeah, I, I don't think there's a right way to enter the industry and I, I don't think it's ever too late to start learning how to code or to pivot into that direction if you if you want to. I still think that like, for example, if you see, if you're if you have like a child who expresses some interest in coding, I think that should be nurtured and like you should provide them with the means to continue learning um, or start learning. Um, but otherwise, if you're, I guess, in a different stage of your life, if you're older, I don't think it's ever too late to start. Um, and in terms of like learning uh, materials, so even you don't necessarily have to like pay to do a computer science degree or do a coding bootcamp. I think there's a lot available online. Uh, there's, for example, Udemy, which I always recommend, which is a good website. And then there's, I guess, the tech Twitter uh, side. I think the most like uh, I stay up to date with the most recent trends through the people I follow on Twitter. So I think that's also a great platform for staying engaged in the field and learning more. So yeah, I don't have like the, like I I don't have the the recipe to becoming a tech lead. It's like you just have to yeah find your own path and hopefully enjoy what you do or find a way to start doing something you enjoy. Yeah, Daphne, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I have to say that I feel that sometimes. Um... For people who do, you know, professional uh, change, switching from from a different industry in their t late twenties or thirties, I feel that many times it's hard for them because they feel like I haven't been coding since the age of ten, so it's probably not for me. Like this industry is only for people who are passionate about computers. But I think that you can be passionate about your work in, in tech um, after a while. Like after you decide that this is the career that you work in towards now and you it, it's important to you to be good at it and to really have a meaningful career and to have a job where you go every day and you have impact, then people can take the decision to really, you know, read about stuff in their uh, free time and you know attend conferences and create connections so that they can ask people if they have questions at 2 a.m and and so on so it can also be just a decision that someone uh, takes in the middle of their life it doesn't have to be something that you that you are born with and i think that for many people for example i look at my husband and he started coding when he was very young um, 
and me too by the way but it was because uh, school pushed me to it like primary school and for him it was a book that he had at home because of his older brother who studied in high school computer science so many times it's not really some internal you know something that you were born with like you were born a computer scientist it's just you know something happened in life and some people are born and they have older uh, brothers who study computer science so they have this book at home and some people are like first kids and they don't have older brothers who study computer science and then at some point maybe they decide that this is a career that they want to pursue and that's really great like i can say that in the company that i work for now we have a lot of bootcamp graduates and a lot of them i mean all of them are doing a great job but i can feel like people coming to even if they are juniors they're not really juniors because they know how to behave in a company they know how to communicate with colleagues and so on because they have been working in a industry before and those soft skills have they know how to manage their time they know how to raise flags so a lot of things that are really important for engineers they already know although they haven't been software engineers before yeah i agree there's definitely a lot of like transferables skills um, and being a software engineer is not just about writing code there yeah there are other aspects to it too yeah. what do you think today when you both say that you started coding in high school uh, where i came from that's impossible i went to a college in my country and then the computers we have was limited so we sit in one computer to code imagine so it's only one person who's coding it's really hard in my time uh, maybe some things have changed now but still this kind of uh, opportunities doesn't exist learning like in high school or when you are really really young so it depends all cannot go to university uh, to study computer I'm speaking to people who came the same background as mine joining a computer science department is even uh, is not possible not like the one you chose because of limited uh, universities we have. So if it's full, you'll be transferred to other fields. And then it's really hard to, to get what you want. But like you guys said, there are online materials that you can study by yourself or go to a bootcamp. Yeah, that doesn't exist still, but maybe I recommend learning by yourself and then try practice more, do your own projects, hobby projects and then you can develop your skills that's what i say even internet doesn't exist everywhere and then it's not in a good speed it's unfortunate but uh it's not impossible it's possible because i'm here go for it if you really like coding or if you think you you can work in this industry uh you can develop your skills i'm still learning i'm still taking courses like paula said make friends <laughs> <laughs> that helps i believe uh and my experience is different than yours, I guess. So mm -hmm. how did you get to work in tech? Like, how was your beginning? Uh, first, I studied human resource management uh, in my uh, country. Uh, that was not by choice, uh, but that's what I got uh, when I joined the college. And then I worked uh, in a different industry, even not as a human resource. Uh, but then uh, in the middle, a family told me that there is a college, a private college that uh, teaches computer. So I was like, okay, let me, why don't I join? 
and I joined. Like I said, it's we sit in my computer, and then I don't. I don't think that I learned a lot uh, because I didn't practice a lot there because I was working full time and then part time I was studying, and then then I started uh, my career. Like I started working on my own, going to places that I that I can do their websites, and then I build websites, and then I show them my uh, side projects so that they can't believe me that I'm legit. So uh, that's how it started when I moved here in Sweden. Uh, I started applying to jobs, even though I don't have the experience in the industry. I only worked as a self-employed. So I joined one company and started like I get experience. Now I'm in a different company than uh, the beginning, but that's how I started. I always try to improve my skills by uh, studying online, taking courses. But where did your like initial sort of spark of interest in the field come from? Or why did you decide to, um, I guess, pursue computer science? I always see that there is, especially in my country, everything is manual, mostly. So I see that, oh, I wish if this is a system based, we could have these old steps going manual labor it could be half solved so that's always my in my mind and then when family of mine told me that about that school i was not imagining myself like going to in a tech industry but just i have to learn i was not satisfied with my education level at that time so i was like okay let me join one college my interest goes from that time onwards yeah i think it's like i've noticed that women tend to see tech as like a way of solving problems and i think that's the way it should be approached and that's why like, I really believe there should be more women in tech, especially solving like women specific problems that, you yeah. know, because I guess a lot of people yeah, are solving the problems that they have. Uh, and then if there aren't enough women in the field, then their problems will go um, unsolved. So, yeah, that's, sure. that's really cool. One question I have for Paula is about mm -hmm. the Imagilabs. Maybe I'm taking you back to your company. Uh, do you do you do social like, I don't know, maybe that's in a not in a startups, maybe in a big companies like, like, sort of like uh, the social impact or. Yeah. Do you mm -hmm. do such kind of things? I mean, I guess our, like, we are an impact startup. Um, so I guess uh, our mission is to lower the barrier of entry to tech. And long-term mission is to also make it more accessible in certain areas of the world where it currently isn't. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, our goal is to have a 50-50 at least balance in tech uh, between uh, women and men. So I guess, yeah, as a startup, we're, uh, like, we have a sort of not nonprofit mission but we are a for-profit startup yeah. so yeah I think it's at the core of, of what we do and not uh, a lot of investors agree with this type of model but we, we do really care about our, our mission and actually making a positive uh, difference um, so yeah so we do like lead workshops for or free, for example, for underprivileged groups. Um, and I think that the fact that you can actually learn to code on your phone um, definitely lowers the barrier to entry. Um, so yeah, we, yeah, and our long-term mission, of course, is to actually expand to countries where currently, yeah, com computer access is difficult, for example, mm. uh, and also like lower the cost of our ImagiCharm. But yeah, so it's, it's definitely at the core of, of what we do. Uh, reaching people who otherwise would not be able to learn how to code because, yeah, they just don't have the um, privilege of being able to do so with the currently available resources. One thing that I also wanted to ask you, Paula, is mm -hmm. um, I know that when you are part of a co-founding team, you have a lot of like strategy and high-level 
tasks that you're involved in. And then you also need to, you know, dive deep into the code for many, many hours. And that switch was so hard for me. Um, It's still hard for me in my current position from time to time. But especially when I was a co-founder, it was so hard to, you know, do both. So how do you handle it? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, I guess, like context switching and also going from like, yeah, big picture, like overview to like the, you know, I'm fixing this bug right now. So yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Uh, and I found it difficult to manage just because I, I really need to be in the zone in order to do something properly. And it's hard to be in the zone when you have to switch from like proofreading a social media caption to, you know, going back and working on this like backend function. Um, but yeah, so I've just tried to like sort of partition my day into like chunks of hours where I do something specific or I focus on something specific. Um, and so far I've, it's, it's sort of worked. Um, and we're also trying this new thing where we like dedicate the specific day of the week to doing like one, like working on one specific area of the company, for example, like marketing and sales, because having the limited resources we have and the really small number of employees, like we do have to pitch into other areas that aren't necessarily our responsibility. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like, again, it's just like, it's, I haven't figured out the perfect way of doing this, uh, but things seem to be okay. But yeah, but that entails, I guess, sometimes working on the weekends. For example, after this podcast, we have like a six hour chunk of time scheduled for like figuring out marketing for this like promo video that we have coming out next week. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I do definitely have to like switch hats, uh, quite often. Um, but I, but I do enjoy it because in the end, like I don't see my primary, uh, responsibility as like writing codes, but as like furthering the mission of our company. And if that means that sometimes I have to go like be the photographer for a photo shoot we're doing with the Imagine Charm, like that's that's fine um, as well. What kind of programming languages we use at work? Oh yeah, I mean I could go through I guess the stack. Um, so yeah, for iOS development, so we use Swift, um, and then backend development, um, mostly Python. I guess our entire backend stack is on AWS, um, so we use Python for the the Lambda functions. Um, and then for Android, but I'm not super involved in the Android side, I guess it's Java. So yeah, all native on the app side. And then we teach Python in the app. So I guess I write some Python there in the app as well. Yeah. What about you too? Yes, today. I use React Native. Mm-hmm. I'm a front-end developer, so I don't use mostly the backend. I started learning some uh, backend programs. Yeah, but I use React Native. What kind of uh, backend? Uh... Um, I'm trying to, to learn Django mm-hmm. uh, because that's what we use at the work. And sometimes for a smaller part, I don't have to co- consult the backend guys so that I can fix it by myself. That's my recent goal. <laughs> cool. Uh, for the stack that I'm working with now is uh, React with Next and we use a node for the backend. So sometimes it's Express. We now start to work with Happy as a server um, and we mainly work with Google Cloud Platform. Yeah, so I also wanna ask, wanted to ask you, Paula, when you started to learn the backend parts, how did you approach it? Because I know you don't have a lot of time, like time, is a very big limitation or restriction that you 
you have and I'm sure that you put some thoughts into how to learn it as soon as possible. Yeah, so for, uh, when I first joined Imagio Labs like two years ago, uh, we were using a backend based on Firebase, um, which was okay for like, I guess, like very early stage, but we already started seeing how this would not scale very well. So we were told repeatedly that we should switch to something that uses like GraphQL. So that's why we switched to using AWS's like AppSync service. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, like a really, really big help here was our investor, um, Jesper is his name, uh, who actually like sat with me for like several hours a week uh, at the beginning. And he like already had experience with their services. So it was, I was really fortunate to have someone who had experience and could just like one-to-one -one, like talk me through setting things up. And as I started doing things independently, I always had someone to like bounce ideas against. Um, and so he was the one there. But otherwise, I guess YouTube is still a valuable learning resource. And then there's also just like courses available for specific AWS services. But again, nothing is like perfectly tailored to your use case. So there had mm -hmm. to be a lot of trial and error there as well. Um, but yeah, it's been like, I'm finally at a stage where I feel like I have like a solid understanding of how everything is working. Uh, and if something goes wrong, I'll know why <laughs> it went wrong. But um, yeah, so it's been a combination of, of I guess, like, uh, yeah, our investor and then just like self-learning things online. And also AWS uh, is like actually really helpful in terms of startups. So they have this like Amplify program specifically for startups through which they offer you a lot of free credits and also free business support, which otherwise is very expensive. Um, so I've had this like constant hotline that I can reach out to if something is wrong. And I've sat through, yeah, I guess a lot of AWS uh, support, uh, a lot of members of their support team are familiar with Imagilabs and our uh, backend stack. But yeah, so that's been really helpful as well. Yeah, so I think it's just about not being afraid to ask for help and not like, and I feel like a lot of times I felt like, okay, I have to figure out, I have to figure this out on my own. Otherwise, it means I'm like incapable of doing this. But no, like people always have, have to reach out to others for help. And that might take like a problem that would otherwise take you like a month to solve, only a few days to solve. Um, and I think you just have to like let go of your pride uh, and just realize that you know you're human, and the people who are experts at this had the same questions when they started, and it's totally fine to ask them. That's a good advice. <laughs> yeah, but again, sometimes yeah. I don't follow this on advice. I feel like I tend to want to solve things on my own, but yeah, you're not an island, and it's okay <laughs> to not know things. Um, yeah. yeah, but then I really try to like also carry this going forward. Like if people ask me questions, I do try to like actually dedicate time to like answering this question properly uh, because I know I was in the same position at some point. And I think it's really important to like, if you've been mentored by people in the past, you should also mentor people going forward and sort of continue this um, trend. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really been a pleasure uh, being on this podcast and I hope that sometime soon we can meet in person for a coffee uh, and have uh, another conversation. Um, and yeah, uh, I think as my ending words, I'll just say that um, I'd really love it if you could check out the Imagilabs app uh, on either iOS or Android. Uh, I think it's fun for people of all ages, uh, but if you have any girls in your life who you would like to introduce to coding, I think the Imagilabs app and the Imagicharm are a great way to do that. So uh, please check them out. And yeah, thank you so much Daphna and today for having me uh, on the podcast today. Where do people can find your Imagicharm and app? So the Imagilabs app is completely usable without the Imagicharm and you can just find it on the App Store or Google Play. 
Uh, and the Imagi charm, you can find it on our website at imagilabs.com. Uh, but if you live in Sweden, it's also available at some, at some design target stores if you want to see it in person and uh, check it out. So that's where you can uh, find our uh, product. Thanks a lot for joining us today. It was very interesting. And Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I mean, for me, even though we know each other for a year and we met almost every week uh, because of the Engineering Leadership FICA meetup, still, I was really happy to hear some stories that I haven't heard yet. And was uh, it was really inspiring for me. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for thinking of me for this um, podcast.